Welcome to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Odie. So Odie is a content creator, particularly for D&D content online. You can find him through Reddit and the DMs Guild and his Twitter. And he's a relatively new content creator, but he's already done a great amount of work. It's very, very detailed and very great quality. Um, and I enjoy it a lot. You guys can definitely take a benefit from that if you're interested in running in that system. And in this episode, we end up talking about his kind of origins, getting to the point of creating his own content and his kind of theories and thoughts about putting it all together. It's a really good podcast and I hope you guys enjoy. episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Odie. Odie, will you please introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Odie. I write stuff. That's pretty <laughs> succinct way to say it. He is Odie and he does write stuff. Um, Odie does a lot of homebrew content in the D&D RPG sphere, and we're going to jump into that in just one second. But Odie, let's go back to your very beginning. How did you get mm-hmm. into RPGs, man? Uh, I got into RPGs... But from a super young age, uh, I played Baldur's Gate originally. Um, and that kind of led into my huge whole fantasy thing into uh, a bunch of other RPGs. And then I didn't find tabletop RPGs until 2013. Uh, I was usually a really big gamer before then um, and fantasy writer and books and things like that. Um, and then 2013, I actually started playing D&D because of a podcast uh, and that got me hooked, and I've been a forever DM ever since. Do you mind telling us what that podcast was? Yeah, it's uh, it's Crit Juice. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, I've heard about it, and a couple of guests have mentioned that as well. So basically, you stumbled into this podcast, and you thought, man, I really want to do that. Yeah, exactly. It just seemed like a ton of fun with my friends and I uh, just drinking and, and playing Dungeons & Dragons. So um, yeah, that kind of inspired me from the get-go. None of my friends wanted to DM, so... I got stuck with it, <laughs> but I'm I'm happy that that happened. That must have been an easy transition, though. I mean, you had all the RPG background. You kind of understood the mechanics and the races and things like that. You know, the kind of prototypical fantasy dwarves and elves and orcs and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it must have been pretty easy to pick up. Were you a player or a DM? Uh, I was a DM, and it was actually a really seamless transition because we started in 4th uh, edition, which a lot of people hate, <laughs> and I understand why they hate it. Um, but in 4th edition, it's more geared to, like, for the combat, essentially, like that kind of player economy. Um, so we were all able to meld really well. And then, uh, yeah, we bounced around to all the other editions, and now we're sitting at fifth edition in the same group of friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the census kind of around the RPG community is that fourth was bad, but from a lot of people who I know who came in on fourth, that especially if they had a you know MMORPG or you know video game based RPG background, they actually loved fourth because the transition was so seamless and so easy. And I, I guess because they were used to looting, shooting, and uh, looting, killing, and you know dungeon diving, it was exactly. a one to one transition, right? Yeah, I think if you come into the D and D for the very first time and you haven't played any of the editions or Pathfinder or you know other uh, TTRPGs, fourth edition 
made it really easy to jump into and learn it. But I would hate to go backwards, right? Like going from 4E to 3.5 or Pathfinder is a lot easier to do than doing 3.5 to 4E because then you'll feel like so it just everything feels off about it. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of uh, a lot like when people talk about like Star Wars or Star Trek or you know big series that have spanned multiple decades. Everybody will mention how like well your favorite one's the one which you came into either first or when you were you know at your peak age you know your nostalgic you know teens or you know twenties. So yeah, I, I would anticipate somebody like you who comes in already at four to see like yeah this makes sense this is how it works and then looking at the other editions is something a little bit off kilter. Um, yeah, but especially because. By 2013, I mean, uh, I was playing games like uh, Dragon Age, Skyrim, you know, all that stuff. And so it just it just felt natural in terms of like to have it more combat focused and less RP heavy. So, But you jumped in already as a, as a dungeon master off the bat. I mean, that's a big commit. I mean, did you did you take to it easily? Did you like it? Uh, I did. Um, so all through like high school and after that, I was really big into writing and reading. Um, so I read a lot of fantasy. I tried writing my own fantasy, uh, short stories for a while. And, um, I jumped into, I did the wrong thing. I jumped into 4E in a full homebrew world and I didn't know the undertaking that would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've always, even from the beginning, I've, I've loved doing homebrew and, and writing that and creating the world space for my players to enjoy. But yeah, no, it was, it was pretty seamless coming from, from my background. So did you always say as a dungeon master, how often do you get to be a player? I have played as a player twice since 2014. Man, I thought I had it rough, dude. Only two (laughs) times. I mean, I guess you can remember him because they're very memorable, right? Yeah, both times. Uh, I had one character named uh, Barry Bill. He's a halfling ranger with an eye patch and a beard. There's a really gruff voice kind of like thing. Uh, and he's obsessed with good berries. And then uh, I had another character that was a tiefling warlock. Uh, that character is, is meh. meh. Wasn't super into that one. I was I was handed that character sheet, and I was like, okay, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, most people have the same sort of thing when you're kind of handed a sheet, unless you know you're given a little leeway to curtail and kind of make it your mm-hmm. own. Um, it's never the same, you know, as coming up from scratch from whatever character you want it to be, right? Exactly. So I just I just played in my own mind. I, I mean, I just write my own characters. I think a lot of DMs go into that phase where it's like, I'm just going to build a bunch of characters if I ever get a play. Kind of thing. That's the, that's the so. funny thing I, I find with a lot of guys and gals who are getting into D&D and then they really like fall head over heels. They tell me all the time to where they're like, yeah, I am playing this one character, but then immediately I create like eight other characters or in one of my games, I have a guy who has... Now, I'm not joking. A folder filled with like every race and class combination just in case because he A, tends to die a lot in the campaign, but B, he's just so <laughs> into character creation and character making that he's pretty much just anytime he has a gem or of an idea, he just runs with it. And I always said that if you're somebody who finds yourself liking to do that, it's so easy to turn around and then be the game master and dungeon master because right there is basically half the job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if and that's that's a really awesome thing too about creating characters is you basically are just telling a short story of you know because you create the backstory and you set all their stats and it kind of helps you envision them in your head right and you just make these personal characters and you can just do it as much as you want you know it's really it's really cool and yeah as a dungeon master you fit perfectly because that's half the npcs i make 
And that's one of the things I wanted to mention. So with you being a DM for some time, how quickly is the transition to like, all right, I'm homebrewing, creating my own content. And then, you know what? I think maybe other people should check this out. Um, so that's actually a good question. I haven't, I just recently started publishing my stuff, um, based off a suggestion from my girlfriend, actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've written tons of stuff, tons of worlds, things like that. Never, never, ever thought about sharing it. And it wasn't like I was scared to do it. It was just more of like, uh, eh, if, if DMs want, I guess they can have it. Like, I just never thought, you know, to put it out there. So it's, it was a weird transition for sure. So with that, I mean, that must be a positive, at least to have other people go to you and be like, hey, like, I really think your stuff's good and should get out there. People should hear about it. I mean, big kudos to your girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's kind of surreal uh, getting a couple just even on like Twitter or even like a review on DMs Guild and they're like or on Reddit because I post a lot of my stuff on Reddit and uh, people who enjoy it. It's like and it's kind of like an adrenaline rush. It's really cool that people will actually like it. So I'm happy. I'm happy that people. People are digging it, and it's a very receptive community. Yeah, 1,000%. I have to say, if there's one thing about this kind of hobby or this kind of you know uh, thing we like to do for fun is that by its very nature, you're wanting to be cooperative and you're wanting to help other people out. And especially amongst DMs, GMs, uh, whatever your choice term is, like – if you ever hung out with them in real life, as soon as you find out another guy or gal has a game, you immediately start talking about it and you start talking about like your tips and your tricks and this item I have or this adventure I've run or this NPC I created. And then you're just giving it out for free left and right because you, you want to help out other people. And you want to First off, obviously, there's a little ego, right? You want to show off. Look, I did this thing. Aren't I so awesome? But at the I'm same time – Yeah, go ahead, Odie. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to hide that. Yeah, it is. It was a little bit of an ego boost, you know, like, oh, hey, <laughs> check this out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely be proud of your creation, right? That's what creativity is about. You create the thing and you take great pride in it. So why the hell would you not want to show it off? But then there's that other little bit there to where like instantaneously you sympathize with every, you know, GM because they're like, hey, yeah, I've come into this problem. Oh, man, I've been in this problem before. Oh, I can't believe how many times I had to deal with that. Here, mm-hmm. here's the thing, something that worked for me or here's an idea that might work in your case or could help you out with that. Yeah, it, it's actually the crazy thing that's happened last night. Um, so we have a Tuesday night game, and uh, there's a there's a guest. Uh, one of the roommates stopped by, and he's been a DM for like two or three years now. And he just sat in and, wa- and watched, and like we just we just bonded like like instantly, and just talked about a bunch of things like, oh yeah, rogues, yeah, I hate those <laughs> kind of thing. As from a DM standpoint, you know, yeah, and, they're so um, good at everything, and you, they can't ever fail thanks to those reliable talents. Yeah, and I mean dexterity saves. What are those? <laughs> right, right. But yeah, no. So we just we bonded instantly, and I I sent him a link with all of my stuff to it um, on my personal drive, so he can check it out and go through it. And then he's he showed me some stuff he made, and it was just yeah, it's it's an instant reaction because there's like that cooperative thing, like you said, and everyone's just like out kind of working together as opposed to like you know, against each other, like businesses or corporations kind of thing. It's like, we're all in this together kind of thing. And in your day-to-day or maybe in your education and whatnot, did you find yourself being somebody who's liked kind of structure and like kind of planning things out? Because for a guy who's just started this recently, I mean, just looking at the content that you've given me to show and some of the stuff you released on the DMs Guild, I mean, this stuff is really, really great and it's really intense and it's very well structured. And obviously the visuals are, are 
what you expect right from third party material and you've got my heart also with the player kingdom management because i got a high level campaign here which are you know nobles and i'm like i really wish there was a system to like kind of play like civ or the sims or something like that and you kind of doing that i'm so happy to see that i actually got that idea from my girlfriend also with her obsession with sims 4 and my obsession with uh an old module that was turned into a game called pathfinder kingmaker um there is a kingdom kind of setup that you can do um, and I looked at that and took a lot of the good parts, stripped away all the bad parts, and added a bunch of flair to it. So it's like, it, it's, it actually mostly came up, too, because my players found an abandoned town, and they started coming up with other ideas of what they could do. And I was like, I could, I could make a module out of this. <laughs> so there's like a whole lot of stuff influencing that particular one. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So, so it seems pretty obvious that you're the type of person who kind of has the problem presented and goes, all right, well, I got to, you know, jigger or figure out a way to make this work. And then you turn that into content. Is that safe to say? Oh, exactly. I mean, the one thing that I've learned from D&D is never limit somebody on creativity. Um, so if they want to be a literal dragon in your campaign, just say, okay, um, let's figure out how to make you a viable dragon so you're not overpowered. Um, and that's, that's, I think the most important thing. It's like, I don't want to limit, limit anybody's creativity. I want everyone just to be having a good time. And it's, it's more of a social event and make sure everyone's having fun first and then rules and stipulations second for me. Absolutely. And I, and I, I see that in your content. I will say though, there's a, uh, there's something to be said about when we do create content for other people. Now we're extra mindful of not just our table, but everybody else playing it. Do you find it difficult to kind of balance around the uh, making things look structurally and feel like other content that you've maybe seen or read before, whether it's officially published or third party, and also be balanced correctly? Um, yes and no. Uh, so in terms of look um, and kind of feeling, I do try to try to kind of base it off of uh, a Watsi published material, right? Um, just to give it a kind of a more professional look and tone to it. Um, but one thing Watsi doesn't really do well in, with their publishing is provide a, a lot of open-ended experiences. Um, I'll use the Curse of Strahd, for example, the end of Curse of Strahd. There's like three endings and all of them are like meh, you know? Um, so when I go through and I make content, it's it's not really a hard part for me because I have such weird char- like players. Um, but I make sure to list possible endings for every sort of situation that could happen. Um like, for instance, the, the one I published that I'm most proud of, uh, Shadow Over Snow Hollow, there's one section there that's, like, it's an entire page of just po- things that your players could possibly choose. Because there's, like, three different factions. They can go decide to do their own thing. They can just abandon it. I made sure there's a lot of outcomes for almost all situations and a little stipulation for DMs that run into something completely random. And that's kind of one of those things, too. Uh, you kind of can tell... And it's a stylistic thing, certainly, but I think it also is a mark of, you know, the the type of game you want to to play here is when you see third-party content, some people are really good at giving you just a bunch of information and being like, you know, here's the rooms, here's what they contain, here's loot if it is there, where some people really like to, like, direct the story and and explain how everything ties in together. And if they enter, you know, 3C and they're extra loud, then the kobolds will jump out of the closet and trigger, you know, random, you know, tin can, you know, 
alarm system which alerts everybody else off of you know down to the next level and etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's there's so much of a you know give and take in in various sources and I do enjoy that a lot especially cuz I find most third party material if it's going to be used it's going to be used either for aspects of it from a DM or GM who wants like this idea or wants something with a theme or it's going to be used almost as written if it's somebody who really just doesn't want to homebrew it too much, kind of either new or maybe they're just like, hey, I just want to run this one adventure. And when you're taking the latter, it's so much more beneficial if you have those options listed because when you're taking that approach, either you're a new GM and DM and you're like, uh, I don't know how to react in these situations. Great. You've already written that in that like in case they go here, in case they do that, in case they ignore this. That kind of helps seed it for them. And then, of course, if they're just wanting to run like a casual adventure and the idea behind running a casual adventure is I don't have to put up too much work. This is going to be easy for me. You also take that off their hands, too, which is the whole point, right? Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're exactly spot on. Um, yeah, because there's like every every DM runs their game a little bit different. Uh, there, there are definitely styles that are more prominent, um, but giving the option of being able to run it loose and fast uh, which is how I run my games personally at home. It's just kind of, we you know, whatever goes. Um, and then also having a more structured kind of setup uh, for those DMs that are more t- kind of to the books uh, players who are more trying to get the people invested in the story more so than, um, you know, just like <laughs> random events basically happening. Um, but yeah, no, you definitely have to kind of account for both those uh, when you go through and design any sort of homebrew. Um and normally what I'll do is I'll go through and write it the way I would play it first. So I just have a bunch of like kind of loose, you know, things, storytelling, plot hooks, all that go through and then go back through and then do an, an extra section just for the more structured DMs. Because I'm not I'm not a organized person whatsoever. My writing process is a nightmare. Really? That's funny because I was going to compliment you on the organization of your charts and your ideas and even creating in the case of um... – your kingdom management, even the little spreadsheet at the end to kind of create a, a, a easy kind of over the top view of all the mechanisms you have going on. I, uh, I like to try, like, I like to, I don't know how to, how to say this. Uh, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, um, like I like to look prepared, I guess. Um, fake like, it till you make I, it. Yeah, well, in a sense, yeah. For the, for the organizational stuff. Um, but like, I just like, you know what, a spreadsheet would be handy. Let's just make one. And then I'm at work all day sitting in my, my, uh, office slash cubicle thing and I have access to Excel. So I'll just make this. And I want to say, I mean, you did mention this kind of off air here. You do come from a technical background. You have, I believe is an IT background, correct? Yep. Okay. So I, I do notice a tendency there for problem solving so it naturally segues into when you're a DM or GM, you're used to problem solving. Not like other fields can't do it. I know many people who worked in retail who dealt with problem solving, theater background, DMs of mine who are really great, really brilliant too. But I think if you were used to problem solving all day, I think when you then get into situations like RPGs where you're like, oh, I'm given another problem, you are very good at taking the mechanisms given to you. And if not, the mechanism you'll create yourself to solve the problem. Yeah. Oh, and I have I have the weirdest work history, and I think all of it's influenced me as a DM. Um, I mean, like before I was in IT, I sold cars for three years. I was a luxury car salesman, and boy did I hate it. But it taught me a lot of things about talking with people and just like opening up, and kind of just other. Uh, it led me to a bunch of other personalities 
and then I worked in kind of retail for a while, and then I got into IT about uh, two years ago, or two or three years, three years now. So like, just so many different career swings, and it, it I think it's done a lot for my my creative side as well. Yeah, there creates a kind of diversity of, of your skill set, and. It, this is like I mentioned, you know, for my friends who worked in theater and in acting, right? They already have the skill set that they bring from their, you know, university and day-to-day work, which then they can introduce in their characters when they're role-playing. Or people who come from IT and technical backgrounds have this idea of like structured systems and formats. And so that way I find their games to play a certain way too. So I think all of us lend from our backgrounds or, you know, upbringings and whatnot into our characters that we play or our, you know, NPCs and worlds that we create in our ventures. So, you know, there's definitely a push then because of that for as much diversity and inclusivity in this hobby as possible. Absolutely. No, I 100% agree with that. So, go ahead. That's just 100%. (laughs) Excellent. Um, I'm glad we're both in agreement. I'm going to say, though, um, your content now is a perfect segue into all the Icewind Dale stuff coming up. Was that conscious of you to go all frosty and snowy? That was not, actually. Um, I already had the groundwork for about 13 pages, and I already ran my players through an icy um, mountain adventure with a with a frost dragon. Uh, and then they announced Icewind Dale, and I was like, dang, <laughs> I should have waited. <laughs> oh, you have that happen to yourself, too? Because what happened yeah. is when Fifty started, Fifty uh, Five E, sorry, Five uh, E started. I ended up um, starting to DM around that time. So a lot of things I had like ideas for, but they hadn't released or books or created stuff for that. So I found myself either going back to like three, five, or four, or like making up my own stuff for like, oh, I'm a you know. A, Jiu-Jitsu guys. So I'm like, oh, there's no real sort of like ground and pound or no kind of MMA style thing. You just kind of have grapple and then that's it. So I, I was like, all right, well, let me create a whole grapple system. And then, oh, you know what? I really don't want to use, you know, just the chromatics and the metallic dragons. What about gem dragons? So I start, you know, looking back at the old, you know, materials for that, or I, I sent them to the Shadowfell and I'm like, oh, well, there's this great 4E um, supplement all about the Shadowfell, all about Gloomrot and places like that. So I started using all this and then thanks to the advent of places like DMs Guild and then thanks to, you know, just with more time and more books being released, every single thing I thought up of and I had this struggle and grind through, somebody releases a module for or somebody releases third party material on the DMs Guild. And I'm like, well, thank God. Now they can do all the hard work for me. <laughs> yeah. I, before I go into any sort of planning now, I will go to DMs Guild and I'll just type in like, loose ideas of what i'm trying to do and see if anyone else has come up with it or posted something already 1000 percent. that's yeah i google everything every time one of my players says like one time i had a guest come in and the guy was like oh i want to create a character and he never played before but he loved uh, green arrow so i was like all right well you're kind of ranger fighter but he goes i kind of want to do you know the trick shots and the different types of arrows and then literally one goal uh, one google search later i saw somebody who created the similar, you know, sort of supplement with all these trick shots and all these mechanisms and points that you can use on your various effects. And I was like, this is perfect. I didn't have to sweat at all. I was just like, take this. I like this. I, you know, I obviously looked it over so it wasn't OP or anything, but I'm like, yeah, just take this, create your character this way, and then we'll run with it. That's the hardest part, I think, when it comes to DMing with homebrew. Um, when you're very open to homebrew and you have some experienced players, uh, they'll just find like D D and D wiki or something, and they'll just find something like ridiculous, like overpowered character class. And that is that is the one of the downsides of homebrew is you have to like 
know where you're going for it. And a lot of players don't really check out DMs Guild for that kind of stuff. They're more just like quick Google search and oh, I'm a blood reaping angel of death now. <laughs> like what? Well, there is, uh, I think, something to be said about the conversation that needs to be had at the table when you do introduce homebrew content because, you know, I'm fortunate in my three games that everyone's either now played, because obviously some of us started and this was our first time playing, but we're, we're now five in, you know, four years in, depending on which campaign we're talking about. So we're either done this a long time or now we've been played together long enough to know, like, everything homebrew is kind of, in my, my, my games, everything homebrew is suspect to me being able to change a retcon. Because, you know, what is not, you know, a crazy idea because it's level 14, you're not thinking about it. Once you get to level 14, then you start realizing, is he really doing that much damage every turn? Or wait, is that mechanic really worked out the way? I think I have to take that back. And sometimes I'll homebrew an item, create an item and give it to them. And then I'll start noticing like how they're using it and abusing it. And I'll give them, you know, the, the talk after a session to be like, hey, that item's kind of overshadowing or overpowering, you know, maybe your class or what's going on. I'm going to kind of nerf it. Are you cool with that? And everybody's been awesome with me and open to that. That's awesome. That's always a hard thing to do as a DM too. Like when you see a player who's like really enjoying an item because they're like really strong with it and you're like, I have to talk to you for a second about toning that down. <laughs> it's it's hard to do, but it is it's definitely necessary. And I've, I've made that mistake and, so many times. And it's <laughs> it's part of the process though, you know? Oh, 100%, 100% part of the process. And it's also a thing about just getting better as a DM too, just recognizing, you know, uh, what's game-breaking, what's slightly stronger, what's slightly weaker, what could use some tweaking here and there. Yeah, and, and it's funny, I used to, because my background is economics and accounting, so I used to Excel spreadsheet out like, the math, I would do the math about average damages and likely to hit. And, you know, it would be very technical because that was kind of my education. That was my uh, career path that I took. However, now I got to the point towards the uh, latter half of one of my games, which is now up in the 17th level to where I'm kind of like, at this point, you're kind of supposed to be OP. You're kind of supposed to be broken. So I kind of told my guys, I'm like, hey, um, I'm going to play the monsters in a more aggressive and brutal way and not crunch the numbers. So sometimes I'm going to hit you with a thing and I'm just going to do 70 damage. And you're going to be like, well, that's OP. And I'm like, well, I just, you know, I kind of just went with it. It felt like it should hurt. But on the flip side, when it comes to your items and weapons, like if you can go crazy, all out OP, awesome. At this point, your character should be able to do that. And that's where also like I incorporate stuff like my improved critical system, which I'm sure everybody's seen this on the internet. If you haven't, um, basically when you do a critical roll, most of the times the game will allow you to roll twice the die. Uh, however, statistically, there's a potential that you roll those two die and are still lower than the maximum for one die. So I just say take the full die damage and then roll as regular. So you're guaranteed to have greater than half. Uh, sorry, you're guaranteed to have greater than maximum of a single die roll. Which also creates these situations to where somebody can roll and on a single turn do, you know, 80 points of damage from one hit because, you know, it's a divine smite. And then they have this on top of that, on top of that. But at that point, I, I realized like, yeah, well, you're high level enough and this makes sense. So, yeah, if you are you have this awesome moment, I'm going to let you have it. Exactly. Exactly. And um, no, you're you're 100% right on that fact. It's like if at that, that certain level too, like when you're dropping a sixth or a fifth level spell slot for divine smite you know you're expected to do some insane damage so uh adjusting the critical multiplier it, it can be it can be really strong but it, it makes them feel good and that's the important thing you know and um because like if you if you get a crit and you roll like say 2d8 instead of 1d8 and you roll two ones you're just like well 
that 20 feels like I just got ripped off, you know? And it's easier for me as, as a GM to change the numbers on my side to be like, wow, they're hitting really hard and I want this challenge to be a little more impressive. Oh, maybe 100 more hit points. Or maybe now it enters an enraged state where the damage is, you know, one die lethal or, or something like that. So it's very easy for me to do that on my sides. And again, it's that perception here. And, you know, I, I'm a big fan of listening to, you know, video game podcasts and learning about game creation stuff because there's so many hidden little tricks that they have, uh, one of which for people out there i'm gonna reveal some tricks of the trade so uh, avert your ears if you don't want to know how video games are made or some things work um you're a lot of times not as low on health as you think but the games will show like i think somebody said something along the lines of like set uh that's what it was it was a 70 percent of the health bar is really in 40 percent of the health bar it's just that we you know let you feel like you're at full and then you take these few hits, which make you think like, wow, I took some damage. And then you're right at the slither of death, far longer, two to three times longer than you should actually be numbers wise. But that's to create the sense of urgency and to create the sense of, oh my God, I barely made it out of there. So that's part of what we do as DMs and GMs. So to do that, we can obviously fudge and adjust on our side numbers to give you that feeling. Exactly. And um, one thing I really love actually about doing that is... I'm not a big fan of like fudging my dice rolls. Like I'll roll my dice in front of everybody, um, but uh, you can change up. You can add as a as a GM or a DM. You can just add other abilities. You know, on the fly. Like okay, they just did a huge chunk of damage. Um, you know, maybe he has a spell. Like maybe he'll he has counter counter spell. You know, just to save him for one thing, or like he has legendary actions or legendary resistance. And my new favorite thing that I've been incorporating probably too much, my players would say, is uh, uh, Mythic Traits from Odyssey of Theros. Oh, yes. Yeah, I love that supplement. It's so it's such a cool and unique mechanic where it's like, it's it's a second health bar. You drop the, you do 200 points damage, the monster falls down, you know, he looks like it's about to die, and then all of a sudden a giant explosion of flame, he's back up, he has a second form, he's just crazy, and he has a bunch of new stuff he can do. Um and it's it's just a really cool thing. You can just you know use it to personalize bosses and make them more memorable. Because you don't want like you know a secondary bad guy. You want it to be a memorable fight. You don't want your players to stomp on it and walk over him. And then say so you, you just you go in and you adjust. You're like, okay, they just got a level up. I was not expecting all these all this new stuff to come out. Uh, let's just adjust some stuff here and call it good. And it's really it's really nice. And what's what's really great about that is you know it calls back to things we've seen before right we've all played a video game to where you, you, your thumbs are about to bleed and you think you finally get the boss and then all of a sudden the second the, t- the second health bar fills up or like the, the the changing of the scenery on the battlefield and then they sprout wings or they now have like four mini guns on their fingers and you're like what i didn't no there's more so like yeah that's a great thing to pull from and, and when used sparingly is, is a fantastic sauce and spice to add to your playing and uh, all this done all this is done, by the way, I find uh, after we've gotten uh, enough kind of experience under uh, our, our sh- I, I don't know, under our, our, our wheels, our tires, our, our shelves, whatever the phrase would be, experience underneath our screens to where we know like, yeah, because everybody had like their moment where they're like, man, I had this great encounter with this chimera, but then I had two monks and all they did was stun it till you know, it couldn't move and then everybody wailed on it. And then you're like, well, never again, next time. 
nobody's you know nobody can stun it because it's immune or next time it's going to have seven other uh, allies there so if you take it you know out for a round then they're just going to wail on you or something like that oh yeah if, if you have a, a counter that you truly love as a monster give it legendary resistance you'll save yourself all the heartache <laughs> of like the bard trying to seduce it or yeah the monks using stunning fist um or just like you know adjust the saving throws on the fly if you know you have two monks that are going to try to to stun it to death i uh, just Make that saving throw a little bit higher, you know, and yeah, and it is, it is an experience on the belt thing because I've or under the um, under the screen. I like that a lot because uh, yeah, I've had plenty of encounters. Where I'm like, oh yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be one for the ages, and they walk over it in two rounds, and I'm like, all right, never mind. But but then I'll invoke. But then I'll invoke another phrase I picked up, and it's not my mine. I'll give it to my good friend Jeffrey Muller, aka the Mighty Jordan on Twitter. He invaded. He invented this idea of. Uh, uh, Schrodinger's bugbear, where <laughs> if if your party okay. is let's say in a dungeon or trying to do a, a, an adventure and they you know zip when they should have zapped or zigged when they should have zagged and you kind of have this moment about like ah oh, man I was really going to enjoy bringing that into or ah oh, man this would have been a great reveal nobody says that bugbear can't be around the next corner which is left as opposed to right because again it's all on your side it's not on their side and they don't know that you're playing you know a module that says that so yeah that idea can just happens anyway sometime down the line and that's another thing that that is really really great about being a dungeon master or a game master is just because we have an idea and maybe it doesn't work out right or maybe that encounter didn't work the way you want it well i'm going to redress that or i'm going to put that somewhere else and then it will work the way i want it Exactly. Yeah, just fix, tweak the things that were wrong with it and good to go. Have a disclaimer to everybody. Only recently have I started actually recording all of our games. Thanks to COVID, everything's gone digital and I've started recording all my games. And now I have to be very particular about continuity because now my players have a recorded record of everything I've said. So I listen back to those things when I edit them and I'm like, all right, write that down. I can't mess this up. Otherwise, they're going to use it against me. (laughs) <laughs> oh man my players are way too lazy i could record our sessions and get away with anything <laughs> excellent that's great <laughs> well that way then for you it's just re- reference material right exactly yeah i just listen back to it oh yeah that's a good idea <laughs> i'll write that down so do you ever miss the idea of being a player i mean you've only done this twice now in what seems like you know a considerable amount of time is there a part of you that misses that or do you just kind of get used to running the world or you love your world too much that you're going to keep playing in it um I mean, I'd love the opportunity to play, but I, I definitely like being the dungeon master. It's it's just something I, I've just grown to love it so much because um, it's it's truly I can just do whatever I want creatively, you know. Um, and it's yeah, I just set the standard and the and the stage and watch it all play out. So I do miss it. I wouldn't jump on or I, I would jump on an opportunity to play again for sure, but. If I had to pick between two of them, definitely just Dungeon Master. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think I think for a lot of people, there's something to be said about like, you know, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy person. That's a, that's a phrase I like a lot of times. And when you're a Dungeon Master, you're so used to just getting stuff done and doing it that when the idea about like, oh, we're going to play a game comes up, you're like, well, I've already been running, you know, X amount of years or months or I already have this world created. So you're like, sure, yeah, throw it on me. And, you know, I find myself doing that. I mean, that's why I ran for at one time I was running, you know, three different campaigns four to five times a week. And uh, it was it was really starting to get to me. Eventually I had to reel back in, but half the reason is because every person who I brought into the game or every person I hung out with friends of mine or internet friends of mine, 
I would just be like, hey, I, I naturally have this world or hey, I have this experience. I feel comfortable with it. So it makes sense for me to be the dungeon master or the game master. Um, now, however, fortunately, it's gone to the point that if everybody who I play with hasn't already tried it, most of my players are also GMs or DMs of themselves on either D&D or other systems that they, A, understand how difficult it can be for me so they can cut me slack. Thank you, guys and gals. And B, they can run games themselves now. So if, if what happens sometimes is if I want to break, I can do that, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that, the quote that you said at the beginning there. Uh, if you need something done, give it to a busy person. Um, between writing the homebrew working a full-time job i play three times a week at the moment and it just feels like i'm just like on a continuous train i'm just always doing something which it's a good feeling but i can definitely start to feel it weigh on me a little bit so i started cutting back on some of my sessions my last my session last night all my dm notes were was literally just a recap of the session before um and that, that group's like really rowdy um and not really a lot of pro- progress gets done because it's a group of eight so it's it's easier for me just to go off pure instincts and improvis- uh, improvising than it is for me to sit down for an hour, two hours, and just kind of knock out, you know, like a set of things I'd like to see happen. Um, I just kind of get into like a flow state of, you know, this happens, this happens, possible twist, this happens, you know. And there's a beautiful brilliance that comes from having done this long enough that you kind of know the structure of an adventure or the structure of a story innately because you've done so many that like I've improved. I've had sessions where I've come in and had nothing prepared and I've improved everything. And then either I've recorded it or a lot of times what I do is in the olden days when we met people in real life is on the drive home, I would replay the session in my mind and be like, wow. Oh yeah, these threads could tie together perfectly. Or oh, that's I didn't realize I was making a, an, an illusion or an Easter egg, but I just did it subconsciously. And then when I can bring that back into the next session, when I've had a little more prep and stuff, the players can feel like this is part of some master stroke, you know, foreshadow thought, you know, all done ahead of time. When I was like, nah, that was just an improv on the moment. But now this is one of the most major, M, you know, NPCs that you know that's going to span four month arc. Or now this is the you know, most important, you know, uh, story of your character's backstory or like revenge plot because i just blurred out some random words and it kind of made sense if we have time i have a, I have a quick story because that happened to me very much recently and it also ties to all right so uh the next thing i'm writing uh is, it's called angarth it's kind of like an arabian nights kind of thing and um i ran my players through it because they're my guinea pigs right and um I in the world there's a there's a group called the Black Hand Convocation and they're kind of like all over the place setting some stuff up and um they know one of the members is in the city called Angarth and he's inciting rebellions right he's like trying to get everyone all worked up so he can get a magic item to get to the Indiana Jones tomb at the end and um so they go to the city and the guy who the rebellions are starting for a legitimate reason. There's like oppression and, you know, like the night commander's gone nuts. He's, you know, forcing people to do this stuff. And they're like, Oh, we should join the rebellion. Um, and then I actually had a, the, the night commander guy works for the emperor and they were told two or three sessions before that, that the emperor, one of his advisors is working for this black hand convocation. So then they stopped They're like, wait, do we join the rebels or do we join the, the the night guy because they're both the enemy <laughs> and, and they had an argument in person for an hour and a half and i just let it happen as a dm i was like i 
I don't want to weigh in on this because that's up to them. And I completely forgot I put that seed in their mind beforehand. And they finally came to a conclusion of, ah, screw both of them. <laughs> We're just going to get the key and go. So they used both to their advantage. And I just thought, as the accidental stroke of genius that you're talking about, like replaying something in your head and having it come to fruition on purpose or on accident, it's just a, it's a wonderful feeling. And you're like, I didn't mean for that to happen, but now I feel good about it. And you noticed in your example what you did, and I think what could be a great tip for anybody in any system, hell, even sometimes in life, in business negotiation especially, and business negotiation especially, excuse my English, is silence. The power of silence, of just taking a beat, a moment, and then letting people kind of get in their own heads. Because I find a, kind of a, a thing I'm still working on, especially now that I listen back to my sessions, is I want to color the, the scene as much as possible or, or fill in with details where sometimes I think like if I just was leaning a little bit back and letting things sit or just letting my you know players have a little more time to suss out maybe as opposed to explaining what is exactly there, having them ask about it so then I can fill them in. And then that also gives me more time if I'm improving that, if, like if it's not in my notes already, to be like you're in a room, it's like X. Is there a Y in that? Well, in the time in between, I've decided whether there's Y in that or whether it's going to lead to Z. So what you did there was great. And that's what I think all of us DMs have that kind of moment of brilliance to where your players are so caught in on the verisimilitude of the world um, that they're you know arguing and taking it super, super seriously. And you get to sit back and they're kind of driving the, the momentum forward for you. And either you can sit back and plot what you're going to do next based off their great ideas, which you hadn't thought of, or you can, you can kind of uh, just enjoy the... the um, I guess success of creating a world that's so engaging. Yeah, it's yeah, you're com you're completely right. Um, oh, there's something I just totally spaced what I was gonna say. Oh, there's a, there's a fine line too with that though, as a dungeon master, because you want to get the story progressing, right? Like you want you want them to be on track, you want to, everyone to be engaged, um, but you also want them to sit and, and discuss something maybe out of character if it involves you know, their plans going forward. But, you know, eventually gets to that point where you're like, all right, you guys need to make a decision. Um, it's something I noticed that a lot of, a lot of good podcasts um, do this for D&D games is they kind of suggest without suggesting, I guess. Um, and they kind of like start moving things forward or they'll have someone enter the room and explain a, maybe a partial bit of exposition that kind of helps push to one side and just to get them going in a non-intrusive uh, method. And it's something I've been trying to get better at because sometimes I'll just let them argue for like 30 minutes and I'm like, I should probably help. I want to do something. Yeah, that part of there is very tacit. And it's very interesting because a lot of the people I, I interview here, whether they're you know content creators of third party content or just players themselves, uh, if they have a musical background, uh, I realize we always kind of talk about that, that idea of tempo and momentum. Because it, it's it's one of those things that again it's tacit you kind of have to learn it somebody can't tell you if you know 15 minutes go by say this it's something that like there's situations to where you want to let 15 minutes go by and let them not do a thing because they're still you know role playing real well or sussing out the next move and there's other times to where you're like 15 minutes have gone by and we haven't moved forward somebody's got to come in there and steal one of their coin purses to get them running or somebody's you know, a bang happens in a opposite adjoining room and then you have to go investigate that something's got to happen right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you need some sort of driving force to kind of get them off of uh, complacency and more driving them into action without being like, hey, I'm the DM, do this. <laughs> you know, because that's another something you want to do as the dungeon master is, is railroad or kind of like intervene 
out of character, like some sort of divine premonition the players have. <laughs> so you mentioned because of your enjoyment of the combat mechanics and, and battle, how do you find the split? Obviously, nothing's ever binary. It's not one or the other. How do you find the split of your, most of your sessions to be like 60-40, 70-30? Um, so in my, my home game, my big large game, uh, I tend to avoid combat more so than engage in it um, just because it's kind of like reading the room kind of thing. A lot of the players more enjoy RP and exploration, those two pillars. Um, my other session that I do, uh, which is my, my longest running campaign, uh, it's it's a good mix of all three. Um, they're better at combat because it's only four people in the party. So one round doesn't take 20 years. Um, and, and if there's a lot of people, I try to stray less into combat. Or if there is a combat encounter, I try to make it a little bit faster. Um, just so they don't get kind of bored waiting for the other seven people to make their turn. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, everything is kind of adhered, obviously, to the likings of the party in particular and stuff like that. But I, I was always interested because I find um, combat for me is one of the harder things and it's something where I'm lacking in. I feel like is, is keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh. Because innately, there's something to be said about like a system at the end of the day is still, do you hit? How much damage do you do? Is there any, you know, add, add or buff or debuff or something like that? Move on. And it, for me, it's always been like, how do I find out ways to keep it fresh or interesting? Like either increase the stakes by making, forcing them to get it done in X amount of, you know, turns uh, because, you know, something bad will happen or somebody will get away or something like that. So for me, uh, I, I, I do, I'm on the combat light side for majority of my games. However, there's one in which part, the most of the participants have come from a kind of MMORPG Diablo background, in which case they, they, they get antsy. If they haven't had battle in two sessions, they get antsy. So there I, I, there I do battle in another session. Most of my other sessions, it's less that. But when we do get to battle, I always try to find a way and maybe you, you have, you know, the benefit of, of forcing yourself to, to write adventures. So you have to think about this, try to find a way to keep it fresh and different. Cause when, let's say you're in a big dungeon, if you're going to have 12 encounters in that big dungeon, how are they going to feel different aside from the fact that one's a bugbear, one's a kobold, one's a shagath or whatever, you know? I got, I actually got uh, some, some helpful advice for that, actually. Please, I'm um, all ears. So environment is actually the biggest thing um i mean you can fight a wolf in you know uh, a forest you know there's a couple trees maybe a hill you can fight a wolf on the side of a mountain that an avalanche is about to happen <laughs> you can fight a wolf inside of a throne room with a chandelier hanging up or shaking or pillars or things like that and all three of those instances of fighting that wolf are going to be vastly different um if you have parties, if if you have a lot of the same enemy, mix up the environments. Uh, have something interesting happening in the rooms, um, or like uh, other things that you can play up environment-wise. Like um, uh, I think video games do this really well. Uh, where I don't know if you ever played Dragon's Dogma, but there's a, a part where there's a chimera in a room. Just I don't know how I got there, um, but on the side of the room, it's probably like your fortieth chimera you fought, but on the backside, there's a ballista, and you can just hop on the ballista and start t- taking shots at it. Um, or, you know, like, you tried and true, there's a chandelier hanging above, I shoot, I aim to shoot the chandelier down. Uh, or stalagmites, or, you know, however, or there's a, a raging river, because there's a, a fall on the right side of the, the dungeon. 
you know, um, that's the best way to to really mix it up and keep things fresh while using the same kinds of monsters. Because, uh, I mean, even in Lord of the Rings, I mean, Sauron only has orcs and ogres, right? Uh, but even then, there's still all the environments, the different things that take place, it just change it dynamically. And that's a good way to think of it. I appreciate that tip. And I'll ask you this then, uh, because we are kind of talking about tips and ideas and stuff like that. Did you have somebody who was kind of like uh, either be it like an online web tip channel or, you know, uh, a forum or something like that, that was kind of your go-to when you were confused about stuff or did you just figure out on your own? Because I was fortunate enough to have played in games to where I had guys who were sitting at the table been playing, you know, almost 20 years or something like that. So I could turn to them and be like, hey, I, you're obviously smarter than me. What What's up with this or what's up with that? And then they'll have a plethora of resources for me. So I got lucky to be tutored, quote unquote, that way. Did you? Um I'm a very stubborn person. Uh-huh. If something pops up, I'm going to figure it out myself. Um, I didn't really go digging too deep, and I might get uh, blasted for this one, but I have only recently started listening to Critical Role, so I didn't even use that as a resource for the Hey, no judgment either. here, man. No judgment. You're good. <laughs> um, but like podcasts, um, things like that, I just, I don't know. I, I just kind of just try to go with it and, always decided you know if it's if it's not slowing down the game and it's and they're enjoying it cool if i need to dig down and look into this and get better at this i'm, I'm gonna go through and do that well now that you're releasing material out there and like you mentioned you're getting reviews on reddit and dm's guild and stuff like that how do you react then to that sort of feedback positive end or negative because now you've got people saying maybe this is too hard or maybe this is too easy or maybe this doesn't make sense yeah so I'm very receptive to constructive uh, criticism. Um, a, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I tried to become a professional StarCraft II player. And that entire thing is pure criticism on yourself and having others watch your replay. So I had to get over that, that side of it. Um, so when it comes to actual like solid feedback of how I can improve on things, I, I take that in strides. It, it does kind of like hurt me a little bit i think any any creative person that does slightly but if you just don't get caught up in it and look at a reason why that their version or their why their reason might be better than yours to take it then it's it definitely does that sorry i got distracted but my cat (laughs) it's all good um so how have you reacted now to the response and what you've done is you've put most of your stuff up for free or pay as you like. Is that an intentional decision because you just want to test the waters here or are you trying to make a statement about how you feel about your content? What's up? So all my stuff is pay what you want for the first month generally uh, or slash free. Um, I just want to get it in people's hands and see how they like it and hopefully help other DMs. And then I switch it to a, a paid method if it, if it does well or if it doesn't do well, I'll, I'll probably just delete it. <laughs> um, but the the pay what you want things mostly just I want to get it out there and get it into people's hands just so they can read it, they can go through it and do what they do what they like. And if they want to provide feedback, that's even better. That's kind of what I like. Um, but it's mostly just a sharing thing. And then I switch it to a paid method afterwards because it's like, well, you know, you, you had a whole month to kind of check it out and, and get it while you could. And uh, all the future updates and, and fixes and stuff are probably going to probably come to that later. 
And if you already bought it, then you get access to those. I'm pretty sure on DMs Guild. Yeah, definitely creating some uh, artificial scarcity there to to push people to get in your content a- ASAP. I, I dig that. My economics mind is really digging that. But um, yeah, my sales mind likes that too. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, force force them to get it now. Otherwise, they're going to pay for it later. Um, exactly. Um, but I'm still, I mean, as you said, I'm still, I still give it out for free most of the time. <laughs> if you just DM me on Twitter, I'll probably send you something for free. Well, yeah, I mean, so I've had many people on here, some people who are aspirant to make this their full-time job and some people have done that, fortunately. Other people who are more hobbyists to do it on the side or just for fun. So I it's always wanted to ask and get an idea of what the different methods are because obviously, like I mentioned, my background, I love the economics. I love to talk business and talk shop with people um, as long as they're comfortable with that. And it's very weird also for me at the same time to be thinking about that, like if I was a creator, because half of... The reason I do this is because it's not business. It's not my day job, right? It's I'm away from that. I'm enjoying myself playing off in my mystical made up land with my friends who are playing their made up characters. And yeah, my world will still talk about real world things. I can't not have, you know, tyrants or, you know, subjugation or, you know, all sorts of wars and famine and horrible things that happen. They're great storytelling devices. But at the same token, like I, I, I feel like it's at least shrouded in the fact that this is for fun i'm not going to take this super seriously and so for me it's really interesting to start thinking about some people who've gone a step beyond to be like no i'm good at this i enjoy this other people enjoy me doing this they should pay for my time as their gmdm or pay for my content when i release it so that's yeah that's that's the big thing too is there's more uh uh time versus benefit analysis um i mean some of the bigger ones, like if it goes past 40 pages and I'm writing it, that can take me somewhere up to like a month to to finish. Um, you know, Not working at it every single day, but maybe like three to four hours every day for like a month. And then, you know, getting the pictures and, and doing all the Photoshop and work. Um, so I like to do the pay what you want initially. And then if I if I could make a return on it, that's that's just that's great. Um, but I uh, I can't see doing doing what I do right now as a full-time job uh, because I'm trying to work on writing a book actually. And that's what I'd I'd want to do with um, for, for work and then do D and D stuff on the side a hundred percent. That's awesome. And how long have you been doing this? Have you had an opportunity to go out and play either in adventures league games or out in like big, you know, cooperative organized play situations just for my personal curiosity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I there's a local game store uh, around here called Enchanted Grounds, and I was their Adventure League Dungeon Master. I think I only did like two, uh, three or four times. Um, unfortunately, two of the times were kind of a nightmare scenario. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but the other two times were, were pretty good. Um, but at that time, I also picked up a new job, so I had to stop doing that. It just didn't fit my timetable. Were there any less re- lessons or reasons about the nightmare, or is that something you don't want to go into? Uh, it wasn't like no, it it wasn't really like a lesson thing. The thing I could really build upon it was just um, the types of people I I got in those games. Um, like you you see this on like uh, Reddit, like D and D green text kind of kind of people, like um, completely over the top, rude or suggestive to other players, just stuff that. I was I was not about at all, so that's why they're a nightmare. It's just the, the people themselves, not the not the game or the environment. Yeah, the reason I, I asked it's the um, 
it's an interesting thing for anybody who doesn't organize play, uh, especially if you come from playing in your home brew world most of the time, because you're subjecting, subject, I mean, subjecting is maybe the wrong word. You're choosing to invite random people in, which can have its own positives and its own negatives. And you're also choosing to run a very structured, very established and published adventure. So it has to be run a certain way. So um, I've done it multiple times myself, and, and I love to talk to people about how they feel doing it versus not doing it, what they take from it and what they don't. Um, because it's also, a, it's a great way to also work on your chops. Uh, if that's a musical term there. Work on your, your kind of skills or hone in your skills because everything you're used to, the comfort of your friends and, you know, yeah. regular gamers is gone. And you have to very quickly pick up on like, all right, she kind of is really into this uh, NPC. Maybe we can play more with this, but I have only X amount of time and I got to get there. And this person looks like they're mm-hmm. rearing to fight because they're playing a barbarian and haven't had a chance to hit anything. So I got to get that in. So you're like very, it's 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 DM like 101 on crack or it's very, very quick and you got to yeah. get really, really comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's very sink or swim mentality. Um, and because like homebrew, I'm, I'm super comfortable in, you know, you can just change stuff on the fly, adjust this, change this. Um, but when, yeah, when you're doing AL or, you know, any sort of constructed thing for, for somebody else and with people you don't know their personalities of, it can definitely be a bit of a challenge or a little bit nerve wracking because you don't know which pillar to lean on heavily that will benefit the table the most, you know, um, until you've, you know, had like maybe two or three hours into it and you're finally understanding their kind of personalities and their characters and what they want. But yeah. Absolutely. Well, Adi, I mean, we're coming close to the end of our time. Is there any other things you kind of wanted to promote or talk about or, or bring up? Otherwise, what's the best way to find you if people want to l- get your material or talk to you on the internet? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, if, to find me uh, and find my content, just my Twitter probably. That's probably where I post everything. Uh, that's Odie Writes, O-D-Y-R-W-R-I-T-E-S. Um. And then uh, promotional-wise, uh, just stay tuned for my next big adventure, uh, Angarth and the Tomb of Ash and Arfon. It's a little bit of a title. It's a work-in-progress title. <laughs> That's fair, man. That's fair. Hey, you're still figuring out your workshop in it. And if you guys enjoy this podcast and everything, I am, of course, Classy Don. My personal Twitter is Classy underscore Don. That's D-O. In the podcast is my RPG podcast, which can be found at Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whether podcasts are found. If you have any questions, concerns, or you want to just talk to me about the podcast, it's my RPG podcast at gmail.com for the podcast Gmail. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table. Mm-hmm.